Hey, podcast listeners, this is David Benjamin from HealthyWildAndFree.com, your host of the Healthy Wild and Free podcast. Today I have a very cool biohacking ninja on the podcast today, and we're going to talk about all sorts of topics, how to optimize your health to peak performance levels, biohacking, which if you aren't familiar with that, we'll talk about that, and more specifically, holistic biohacking. And today we have on the show Caleb Jennings. He's an entrepreneur, optimal health geek, and the co-founder and co-visionary of Young and Raw, which is at youngandraw.com, a company committed to enriching people's health and well-being by creating and curating empowered education on natural, sustainable, whole food living, and self-development. He's a holistic biohacker with an insatiable curiosity and deep passion for neuroscience, psychology, human behavior, and everything related to optimizing human health, happiness, and performance. Reading consciousness, exploration, staying active, running ongoing holistic biohacking experiments, world travel, deepening connections with friends, intelligent conversations, thinking of new and awesome ways to make a positive, measurable impact in other people's lives, and enjoying the endless wonders of nature's beauty and the outdoors are just a few of his favorite investments of his time, energy, and resources. That's quite the introduction for an amazing human being. Caleb, how are you doing today? Thanks so much, David. Awesome to be here, man. Glad you're here. Uh, I want to start the podcast, how I start all my podcasts, really, so that the, the listeners can get to know the guests and get to know where they come from, how they kind of got to this point where they are as, as sort of a health expert, if you will. Um, where are you from and what, how, did this, how did this evolution occur to become a holistic biohacker, of all things? <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's pretty crazy, man. It's, it's pretty synchronistic how, you know, the kind of puzzle of life gets put together and... Uh, you know, essentially, I grew up in uh, a combination of Colorado and New York. And uh, when I got to Colorado, I was like turning nine years old. And, you know, growing up with my mom, like I had been vegetarian for uh, my whole life up until about seven or eight before we moved to Colorado from New York. And my mom was like a super health geek of her own, right, of her own kind of time. And it's funny because, you know, when we moved to Colorado, uh, we got, you know, introduced to more natural foods. We got, you know, we had friends that had farms and had, you know, fresh organic food and stuff. Um, Back then, you know, organic wasn't even a big deal. Everything was just organic. (laughs) It was just part of how things were. And, you know, so I grew up with her and she, you know, my mom was like literally the mom that went through the store with a little booklet in her hands that like shared all of the different preservatives and like educated on, on how toxic all the preservatives were in, you know, box cereals and packaged foods and processed foods. Right. Mm. And it's funny because I, I, you know, love my mom so much, but back then I was really, I was really angry about that. I was like, I want to, you know, Captain Crunch or Honeycomb <laughs> or, you know, some terrible processed refined sugar junk food because my brain was addicted to that stuff if I had ever tasted it, right? Right. And she'd always be the one telling me, oh, no, there's BHT in the packaging, and, you know, there's, there's like, all the different stuff. So it was really funny because, you know, it was a blessing in disguise at the time, and I was just, you know, a young, rebellious teenager and who wanted the junk food because of the sugar high. And uh, it was just funny because she actually did me such a great service by kind of, you know, raising me that way and subconsciously programming me to be aware of these things. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, long story short, when... You know, I moved away from uh, Colorado to Arizona and stuff, kind of you know, embarking on my own journey. What happened was I, you know, just basically was free to eat whatever I wanted. So I ate a bunch of, you know, not so great food. <laughs> and it really took a toll on me in a lot of different ways from, you know, immune disorders to you know, I put on more fat to, you know, I had some acne and I was just foggy and I just, you know, I was lethargic. I just wasn't like 
I wasn't performing optimally, right? And growing mm-hmm. up in Colorado, snowboarding and doing martial arts and gymnastics, I was very active all the time, and I had a very high metabolism. I was really, you know, I was doing some really awesome stuff at the peak of my performance. You know, so I, I found this correlation between the food I was eating and my performance, you know, being good or not good, right, or non-existent at some times based on what I was eating. And that really kind of spurred me into taking an interest in being like, okay, I need to figure this stuff out, right? And that was kind of where the passion started. And, man, it's just been, it's just snowballed through a fascinating journey ever since. Very cool. It's funny, too, hearing your story. It's, it's kind of similar to my story growing up. My mom, we would, I remember going to food co-ops, health food stores, and, and all these different things. And I remember one time, uh, my, I think I was in sixth, I was in sixth grade, my mom was drinking a water with some type of herbs or liquid nutrients in them. And it was on a field trip, and it was my mom and me were on this field trip on this bus, and she was drinking this, like, murky brown water <laughs> on this bus. And we're, you know, going to Chicago on this field trip, and I'm in sixth grade, so I'm really self-conscious at the time. And I remember this girl in my class just looking at my mom like, what the hell is she drinking? <laughs> and I'm like, mom, what are you doing? Like, So, yeah, I mean, it's funny relating to that, you know, coming from at that time, it's like, you know, what what's going on? But uh, as you get older and you experiment in the world of, of diet and just living, you realize how valuable that truly is. So that's cool that you had those uh, positive roots as well. Um, so it led you to a place in your life where, you know, like you said, fogginess and, and uh, weight gain and things like that. What 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 was the, the shift? What was the turning point where you realized, okay, well, first of all, was that shift and turning point I need to kind of go back to what my mom was doing and that kind of holistic health work? Or was it more like I'm going to try some crazy biohacking stuff before I, you know, go back to just eating carrots and, and cucumber all day? <laughs> well, it was funny because my, my initial, um, you know, desire for figuring stuff out was partially to feel better because I just didn't feel good all around. You know, I just, mm-hmm. I, I slept all the time and I just, I never, I just, I just wanted to sleep more than I wanted to be awake. And that was a sign to me that something was off. Right. And I also wanted to enhance my performance because, you know, I was still attempting to do, I was training in gymnastics just, you know, for fun, for freestyle and pushing my own self and my own performance. And, you know, I was doing all sorts of other activities and I just, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't able to do what I used to do. And I was like, how is this happening? If I was just able to do this a couple months ago, what has changed between then and now? And I realized, well, really most of what's changed is just, I started eating worse and worse food. And so I just started reading books and, you know, hanging out in the bookstore all the time. And, um, I, you know, I originally got into paleo and, uh, and I was like, you know, checked out like the South Beach diet, like all these other crazy diets out there. And I, I tried each one, but I just never stuck with them. You know, it's like I got on one, I did it for a while, I didn't feel too good, so I got off of it and got another one. And I just kind of yo-yo dieted essentially um, for probably a good couple of years. And then, um, you know, basically what happened is I, I started meeting some friends throughout my travels who were introducing me to things like superfoods and to things like, um, you know, more you know, deeply rooted, natural, holistic health. And I hadn't come across a whole lot of that because at the time there weren't many books in the bookstore. You only, you only had the fad and the, the trend books that were out there about the newest, fanciest diet, right, which still to this day is kind of true. And uh, it took some digging, but I, I found a couple of friends along the way who, um, you know, one friend in particular, you know, I, I, we were at a conference together and, you know, we were hanging out right before the, the event was about to start. And he's like, hey, man, you know, do you want some of this green smoothie? And, you know, I can give you a shot of Ormus Gold 
and, you know, here, take some of this colloidal silver and, you know, do this over here. Like, here's some hmm. folic acid for you, you know. And I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? But <laughs> I, the, key, the thing was, I was totally up for it. I was like, dude, I don't know what you're feeding me, but I'm totally open to trying because if it, if it makes me feel worse, it's not a big deal because I already feel terrible. And right. if it makes me feel better, right, so it's kind of a no-lose situation for me. And sure enough, you know, he fed me some of this superfood goodness. And I, uh, I, I felt like I was levitating, you know, my mind would get clear and I'd be focused. I'm like, Oh my God, I feel like I have a brain again, you know? And so those things, you know, through my friends and through some experiences led me along the way to new resources to research and discover. And, uh, yeah. And then I spent some time working with David Wolf who like really threw me down the rabbit hole of all that because, you know, he's a genius in his own right for that kind of stuff. And, you know, I started ordering a bunch of superfoods and making superfood smoothies and experimenting and, Every single time I was playing around or researching new stuff, I, I loved to learn, and I also loved to teach, so my friends would want to learn this stuff, too. And so I would learn something new. It would make me feel really good, and then my friends would notice and say, hey, what are you using? And then I'd say, oh, here's the recipe for my smoothie, right? And then they would go make it for themselves and report back to me saying, oh, my God, I feel amazing, right? Mm-hmm. And so that just kind of snowballed over the years, and, yeah, it's just it's led us to where we are today. <laughs> Turned into a lot more, for sure. With... So you started working with David Wolf. How did that come about? Just through friends of friends, or what? Yeah, well, it was really funny because um, I just finished up some projects for some other really awesome people in a totally different industry, and I was living in Las Vegas at the time. And and uh, two of my best friends, um, this, this couple that I've known for a few years, and just like you know, really, they're like still to this day some of my best friends, and they're also in the health industry. And yeah, we were basically hanging out. And they were working on a launch team for David Wolf's products for his info products. And they basically said, hey, um, you know, would you want to help us out? Because I was just, you know, we were over there, we're hanging out at the house. And I was just kind of, you know, you know, sharing ideas. And we were just kind of critiquing each other's marketing and just, you know, tweaking offers and stuff. And uh, he was like, hey, you know, we could totally use you on the team. Like, you want to join on? And I was like, yeah, sure. And so we joined on. And then basically together as a, as a team, we worked really well together to do some very successful launches David Wolf and um, yeah that really that was one of the the next kind of you know that kind of rocketed us into deeper research and exploration and really experimentation with superfoods and Chinese medicinal herbalism and Ayurvedic herbalism and just you know pretty much anything and everything out there we could uh, get our hands on and learn and discover and experiment with really yeah soaking up uh, medicinal practices from cultures all around the world I think that's so valuable As, as far as that's concerned I have a quick question for you on that you know, there's, like you said, Arveda, Chinese medicine, Amazonian medicine, you know, Russian uh, medicine. There's a lot of different types of medicinal practices. Is there one specifically that you gravitate towards more than, more so than the others? That's a great question, man. And, you know, for me, I would say Chinese medicine is probably the one that I gravitated to most, uh, traditional Chinese medicine and herbalism. That was the one that really kind of attracted me first, and I really did. I've done a lot of deep experimentation with, you know, hundreds, if not probably almost thousands of herbs over the years now, and um, it's a really amazing thing to feel and experience those things work. And then the fascinating thing was, I'm also I, I'm a systems thinker, so I love to weave together and synthesize a lot of different approaches because I've you know done the research on the history of these different people around the world, different tribes around the world, different approaches to food and diet and exercise and all this stuff, you know, and it's like, well, how can we take uh, the Bruce Lee approach is what I'd call it really, which is, you know, uh, take the best and leave the rest. 
it's really, you know, how do you identify what the best key things are for you and for what you want to achieve and just focus on the things that really move the needle the most for you and really boost your performance the most in the highest leverage fashion. And then all the other extraneous stuff, because each system has so much to it. You could spend an entire lifetime studying just one, yeah, uh, one discipline. But for me, I found that there's this really fascinating cross-pollination effect that exponentially boosts your results if you study the foundational basics of each system and you try different components from each system. And you, if, sometimes even if you combine them, you know, like I'll combine some Ayurvedic principles with some you know, Chinese medicine principles in one protocol and I'll get you know, 10x the results that I would have gotten if I just would have done one or the other. Right? So it all comes down to you know, you see it a lot of times, N equals one, really self-experimentation, you know, experiment for oneself because each of us is unique and we each have a unique set of environment and uh, genetics and epigenetic effects and things like that. So it really comes down to un- learning and understanding, you know, knowing thyself, right? And right. then trying different things experimentally uh, in order to boost results or gain the results that you, you know, would desire with your health, your wellness, your fitness. Yeah, for sure. That's a, that's a great point. I think there's so much yet to be discovered leverage within synthesizing and, and synchronizing different practices um, and, and, and because they leverage each other. And if you can figure out how to do so, it adds a lot of value to the overall effect, the, the end result. Let's talk a bit about, I, li- I like that you mentioned on uniqueness because this is something I think a lot of the health world is still very far behind on. And even people that I've talked to, a lot of people, you know, very bright, very bright minds, very uh, intelligent in nutrition or diet or fitness or whatever it may be, their their own area of expertise. But they seem to be so singularly focused on that being the answer to everything, you know, to it being the answer to every health problem and challenge. And and I and I understand they believe in their value, but at the same time. There's uniqueness, like you said. There's genetics, uh, epigenetics, uh, bioindividuality, all these different things. So, what what different unique character traits or sets have you experimented with, and that you would kind of recommend people to explore further to optimize and improve their results in this huge scope of health and wellness? Yeah. So with that, I mean, that's really where holistic biohacking comes in because. It's just, I'm so excited that we now have this understanding and this framework, which is, you know, what we call, you know, biohacking or holistic biohacking. There's different spectrums of biohacking. There's the people who are literally, you know, putting chips and magnets and different technologies inside of their bodies surgically, right, which is one really far end of the biohacking world and kind of where it got its roots. And then, you know, you kind of go along the other end of the spectrum and there's, uh, you know, people who just more take a scientific method and, you know, experimental type approach to um, just optimizing their health. It could be with a supplement or a food or, you know, specific, you know, macronutrient ratio, whatever it may be. And it's cool because it takes a lot of the cognitive bias and the dogma out of these one-size-fits-all approaches, which a lot of times, you know, we humans uh, tend to fall into. And, you know, from a neuroscientific perspective, you know, a cognitive bias is essentially a little quirk of the brain that psychologically uh, inspires or persuades us to think in one way uh, which is very different from our five sense reality or like what's all around us that we we interact with, right? So a lot of people will um, kind of shun the reality of what's going on around them and not accept it because they have a strong psychological pull to a different thing in their head that really validates 
what they've chosen to do or what their feelings are. And this is where the kind of politics of food come into play. This is where the dogma of different approaches come into play. And it's, it's a really challenging thing, which I've personally been caught up in myself. I've, you know, just like everyone else, I've had my time in it. Um, but I came out of it and realizing, wow, you know, there really is no such one-size-fits-all approach that we've discovered yet. If there was, everyone would be healthy and there would be no health issues, right? Yeah. But everybody is different. Everybody is unique. And uh, my theories about it are that, you know, this is just from working with some really brilliant people, experts in their own rights, and, and just looking at the high-level, you know, kind of the macro to the micro uh, approach and spe- on the spectrum of health and, and, and human existence, really. And it's that it's a really big, hairy, audacious thing to approach. It's a really complex issue, um, and we're still, you know, figuring things out. I mean, I've got friends in the neuroscience realm who, you know, devoted the past 20 years of their research and study to a, a particular ion channel in the brain, right? This little tiny microscopic aspect of the functionality of a single part of the human brain, and their whole life will probably continue to be devoted to that ion channel, Right. And there's amazingly brilliant people who are really focused in on specific details, which is very helpful. And then you've got the other people who are, you know, more in the holistic health practitioning realm where they take a more holistic approach, which uh, holistic has really been, you know, termed like, oh, it's kind of the you know, alternative health, the natural health movement and stuff. Some people think it's woo woo and kind of out there. But really, I mean, you know, the definition of a holistic, you know, approach is really just taking into consideration the immense variables and the complexity of reality and what's going on. And so to me, uh, instead of saying, you know, Chinese medicine can cure everything because it's been around for how many, many thousands of years and it's awesome and, I, and it worked for me, so it'll have to work for you. That's a very dogmatic approach to it and a very uh, kind of self-absorbed egotistical approach, right? Whereas if you look at the situation, you realize, oh, wow, science has shown us that, you know, the bacteria in our gut actually affect our brain and our behavior, right? We have um, an environment around us that is constantly sending us, you know, data that we process and we respond to and we feed back with. And we have, you know, electrical pollution. We know about EMFs now, right? And we have, you know, Wi-Fi signals and cell phone signals. We have the water we drink, the food we eat, you know, the soil that the food is grown in. All of these things, right, there's, there's so many of them, right, which is overwhelming for a lot of people. And if you're listening... It could be overwhelming to think about it first, too, uh, but just taking a, you know, a bit-by-bit approach to it, the more you understand about your own body, how it functions, the environment around you, and how it affects you. Um, and then one of the really critical components, which is one of my favorite realms of research uh, for the past couple of years now, has been epigenetics, right? And, and this is essentially, <laughs> at the scientific level, your ability to consciously control and augment the expression or non-expression of specific genes, in your DNA. So it's no longer, oh, well, you know, you know, cancer runs in my family, it's, it's in my genes. Well, yeah, the, the potentiality for it is in your genes, but you can actually control your environment and your diet and even your thinking, and you can choose whether or not that particular aspect of yourself and your, your DNA blueprint is going to uh, express itself or not, right? And so that, that opens a whole new world of possibility because now we've even discovered that the thoughts you think can literally directly affect your physiology and how your body chooses to express something or not, right? And and that, to me, is like one of the most awesome, you know, massive doors swinging wide open to this new realm of possibilities to where we now have so much more control over our own health and, well, and wellness than we ever had before. And new technologies in the quantified self movement and essentially things that 
help us track things like our sleep and our energy levels and our stress levels. We can even get down to like actually recording how ATP essentially functions in the mitochondria of the cells. Like we can actually track real-time energy production on a cellular level for athletes and for, for other healthy other people, you know, looking to up their performance in some way. And it's just amazing because with all these new technologies come new possibilities of understanding ourselves better and therefore being able to use that information to directly and scientifically affect our performance one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely awesome. The, the epigenetics is amazing. I think there's so much more to that. I think that's going to con- constantly evolve and, and we're going to learn so much from that. And one, one of the things I like about what you're doing and what your research entails and, and the kind of path you're going down is kind of branching the world of epigenetics with holistic biohacking and understanding epigenetics and understanding those variables and then using holistic biohacking to really optimize and further enhance your health and to really just keep everything running lean and very effectively. So as far as that's concerned, what, what, do, you, what do you think is possible? I mean, <laughs> with knowing now about epigenetics and holistic biohacking and how fast technology is evolving and all these different tools and methodologies coming together so quickly, what, what do you see as possible within the world of health and wellness seeing this big picture? Oh, man, that's, <laughs> that's such a fun question. My brain's fun. But, um, I mean, so much is possible. I mean, so much is possible. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, you have the kind of, there's this almost this kind of power struggle going on right now that I've witnessed in the world, which is the kind of, you know, medical Western uh, system, you know, kind of, you know, fighting against and shunning, you know, other systems that have been around for way longer than these ones have. And, you know, that there is a place for doctors. I love doctors. I love people who are committing themselves to helping others. Um, I believe the other systems that are used to educate them are a little bit um, lacking in, for example, nutrition. You know, they don't teach doctors very much about nutrition, um, although a doctor can piece you back together again if you get, you know, in a car accident or a you know, terrible accident, which they, there's amazing things that the medical system can do and does do to help save people's lives. It's very much essential, very much needed. Um, I, what's not needed is the back and forth, well, you know, you don't think about these things, so you're bad, and you don't think about these things, so you're bad. This this fighting is not going to help get anyone anywhere, right? What I find really fascinating is the realm of entrepreneurs and business owners who are creating new technologies to help us track our health and wellness, who are using technologies to reduce the amount of cost when it comes to blood testing and hormone testing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, there's, uh, for example, the medical Tricor X prize, you know, Peter Diamandis backs. And that's essentially, you know, literally like the tricorder from, you know, Star Trek where you can literally just like, you know, hold it or breathe on it or put a drop of blood on it or whatever it may end up being when it gets designed and built. And it'll tell you everything that's going on in your body from a gut level to a brain level to a blood level to a hormone level. Um, so that the possibilities are, are just so vast. It's a little overwhelming to think about sometimes. But in the reality right now, you know, you can go get a blood test, you can get a hormone panel done, you can get a urine analysis done, you can, you can track and understand and get analysis of your gut bacteria and your, essentially your gut biome, right? Um, there's, you can get brain scans, you can get brain spec imaging. There's so many things that we can use to quantify ourselves on a regular basis. And once you gather the tiniest bit of data about yourself, right, there, there's one a simple example that I'll share that, you know, if you're listening, you can go, if you have an iPhone, you can go and use this right now. There's this brilliant app called the Sleep Cycle Alarm Clock, which I believe is now number one in the App Store, and for good reason. 
you know, I've tracked my sleep with this app for the past uh, 85 or so nights, with the exception of one night I, I, I fell asleep on the couch and forgot to turn it on. Um, but it's really fascinating because I have, you know, I have immense data on the last 85 nights of my sleep, everything from what I've eaten to what I've had to drink to if I had a stressful day or if I had a really amazing day or if I was in nature or if I had gone floating at all. You know, I have all these different notes that I can take in there. And over time, it tracks the depth of my sleep, the rejuvenation of my sleep. It tracks, you know, if I'm you know, awake a lot more throughout the night and I don't know it. So here's a simple technology that you install on your phone for a couple dollars and you can place it on your bed at night. And it's the you know, last thing you do before you go to bed, just turn it on, put it on the bed, go to sleep. And then it does the rest. And then when you wake up, you have data that you can actually interpret and use to realize, oh, look, if I drank coffee today after 1 p.m., my sleep was really impacted by that. I don't sleep well if I have coffee after 1 p.m. So maybe I should try not having coffee after 1 p.m., right? right? It's a simple thing, but when you start tracking details like that, you start to get quantifiable data that you collect over time. And what that essentially allows you to do is to optimize your life whether it's your sleep, whether it's your fitness, your performance, you know, uh, things like this and, and the tracking of these things, uh, which technology is making easier and easier day in and day out. Um, it's really amazing the possibilities for this. I'm, I'm really excited for what's coming down the pipeline in even just the next two to five years. Yeah, it's funny, too. It's when you all these technologies and we know some of the same interesting entrepreneurs that have new technologies around health and wellness and, and holistic biohacking. And just to know that these things are possible and this is just the start of this kind of wave uh, is really interesting because no longer, I think, in the future will you need uh, a quote-unquote doctor or physician when you can see what's going on in your body with your smartphone and with gadgets and technology. And, you know, it's like it's a whole new world. It's a whole new frontier as, as far as that's regarded. So it's there's so much possibility, and I think that the the technology that you're using and that you're sharing with people and and kind of integrating really well is very beneficial for uh, people to optimize their health. Uh, I want to talk a bit about floating because you mentioned floating, and I, I'm sure everyone listening may not know what floating is. What what do you love so much about floating or flotation tanks, isolation tanks, and and what are the benefits for you specifically? Oh, man. Um, there's a really amazing book that I'll recommend that goes deep into the science of floating, which is one of my original introductions uh, after I began to float in the very beginning. And uh, it's called The Book of Floating. And I believe the author's name is Michael Hutchison. And it's a phenomenal book that was actually written over 20 years ago. Uh, wow. But they've been studying flotation tanks or it's also called sensory deprivation therapy, um, which is uh, very simple. It's, a, it's a, you know, usually a large tank that you lay in, there's 10 inches of water that's heated to the resting temperature of your body, your body temperature, and then there's you know, saturated in it is about, you know, roughly 800 to 1,000 pounds of medical-grade Epsom salts based on what, you know, approach people use, what kind of tanks they have, things vary. Um, but anyways, there's a lot of salt and very little amount of water, so you float on the surface. And then with the good tanks, they're hermetically sealed, so no light gets in, and they're mostly soundproof, so you can't really hear anything. And it's heated to the same temperature as your body, so you, you get this sort of uh, fascinating and novel effect of losing sensory uh, control over your reality. So you, you lose the sense of where your hand ends off and the water begins. You kind of melt into the tank, right? You're, what I call, you know, is you get the best floats 
when you surrender to the tank. And that's when you can really surrender and let your brain just kick into a different gear, uh, which is insanely fascinating. I've used floating for so many things. And, and you know, I even did this experiment one time where I did um, blood and hormone testing and cortisol testing before I was uh, began my floating experiment. And then I went for 17 days straight, uh, anywhere from, you know, a minimum of an hour and a half up to five and a half hours floating in the tank. And when I came out of it at the end of, you know, about 17 days, I ran it for, you know, I went to my, my naturopathic doctor who helps me get my tests done, and she ran the, the results and everything. And she's like, you know, she's literally, literally her words. She's like, you are freak of nature healthy. <laughs> she's like, I've never in a 14-year career of doing this seen anyone augment and change their cortisol levels this dramatically in this short of time. Wow. And she, she was like, what are you doing, right? What, and, I'm, I'm, and that was... Out of curiosity, real quick, what what was the improve like what percentage wise to quantify the improvement? What did that look like? Like quarter. Oh, that's a good question. You know, I I have visually I have it visually on on the uh, on my my test results on the paper, but you know, just kind of guessing because I don't have it right in front of me right now. I'd say it went from you know, let's say you went from. Uh, you know, higher elevated cortisol levels of being kind of stressed out and, and, you know, having some more oxidation in the body and a little bit more inflammation and stuff that you'd like to have. And uh, they dropped down to the optimal range. The thing about cortisol, without getting too deep into it, is you don't want too little cortisol and you don't want too much cortisol. You want this really, uh, there's a sweet spot range mm-hmm. um, because it's, it's essential for, I mean, cortisol is what wakes you up in the morning. It's what gets you out of bed. And if you don't have enough of it, bad things happen. If you have too much of it, bad things happen. So you want this kind of sweet spot. And if you look at, um, you know, imagine a bar and imagine, you know, an arrow on that bar from, you know, the left end to the right end of the spectrum, um, you know, there's the low and there's the high and then in the middle is the sweet spot. Mine was in the beginning on the, the uh, higher side. It was way more uh, close to the higher end. And basically after the experiment, it was right on the middle. It was right on the perfect amount uh, within that particular testing data set. Wow. Huh. That's incredible. So what, what other, for you, as far as floating is concerned, what, what did you feel or what do you notice from, from a float session? Oh, man, it is, it is really, you know, it is, it is better than almost any, you know, relaxing drug out there. Like, you know, when we go float, I do it on a regular basis, and um, you go into the tank and you come out really just in a completely altered state of calm relaxation. Your heart rate reduces, uh, your brain relaxes, your inflammation goes down. You've got an infusion of magnesium into your body from the Epsom salts. Um, there's some really fascinating things that happen in the brain, uh, one of which is slipping into, uh, actually slipping into flow states while you're in the tank because... Uh, usually you go for about, you know, 90 minutes or so uh, per float. And what happens is your brain goes through cycles, right? It goes through the cycles in the daytime, goes through cycles when you're sleeping. And what happens is when you're in the tank, it goes through these cycles. But because the sensory data is cut off, right, we're being bombarded day in, day out by all this information from the light that's out there to the sounds we're hearing around us to noise in the city or ambient noise around us. And when you go into a float tank, it is just peaceful. It's the most peaceful thing ever. And for some, it can be a little uncomfortable, because they're used to all such noise and that has become the norm. And so what happens is after you, you float a couple of times and you get into it, uh, you'll slip into flow states. And what is essentially happening on a brain level is you're experiencing what's called transient hypofrontality. And it's this interesting way the brain works where 
prefrontal cortex areas, little swatches of the prefrontal cortex start shutting down in terms of blood flow, in terms of electrical activity. And the you know, prefrontal cortex is kind of the executive dashboard of our brain. It's what allows us to plan and to be somewhere on time and to you know, emphasize and kind of connect with others in a conscious fashion. And it's where you know, language and stuff kind of resides. And, and so there's things where um, that, a lot of areas in that realm kind of shut down a little bit. And then other areas of the brain start kicking up in activity, and then other areas reduce and relax in activity as well. And so you get this fascinating um, separation of self. You get this kind of oneness feeling, right, where you, you melt into the water, right? If everything's just right, you melt into the water, you go into flow, time distortion occurs, uh, creativity goes through the roof, you start getting crazy creative ideas. Um, some people go into uh, different brainwave states. They go into like a deep, deep theta or possibly even delta, which is a sleep state, even though you're not actually asleep sometimes in there. And then sometimes you get into a high alpha, which is a very creative oriented space. Um, and one of the, the main things the tank has been studied a lot for is actually super learning. So you can actually, like I put audio books on, I put uh, different, you know, I can, if I want to learn a language, I'll put something on in there. And it basically, your brain just kicks up these higher levels of functioning and your memory enhances, your retention and recall enhances. And, you know, all of the things that would normally get in the way of learning or of, you know, consciously processing things, those kind of barriers just shut down for a temporary time. And then you're just an open sponge for learning and knowledge, right? And, I mean, that's just one of so many different effects uh, that it's used for. It's used for PTSD. It's used for reducing stress. It's great for people with injuries who need, you know, gravity can actually, like, you know, uh, put a lot of pressure on your spine or on your knees, for example. Um, You can go in the float tank, and you're pretty much in almost like a zero-gravity state, very, very close to a zero-gravity state. So there's many applications for it. And, you know, for some people, you know, uh, my wife, for example, she, whenever she's struggling with writer's block or, you know, a creative challenge that she can't get around, she just goes for a float and the answer just comes to her. It's kind of like, you know, the old, uh, old writers and advertisers and marketers used to, you know, go take a nap and they'd wake up with this brilliant idea, right? Or if you're in the shower, right, you have this water running on you and you get the best ideas in the shower. Like we've all kind of heard stories like that. Uh, and the float tank, is really just an amazing controlled environment where you have control over the environment so you can actually change your experience. And it also is such a novel experience that there's nowhere else in the world that you've experienced this or your ancestors have with the exception of possibly being alone deep in a cave with really salty water and floating around. And even then, it still wasn't as controlled as it could be in the situation with a float tank. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny you say that. Actually, one place I want to definitely visit one day is uh, the country of Jordan and the Dead Sea because I would say that's probably one of the closest things on planet Earth to the float tank. The salt water you float, you're very buoyant. The the oxygen is, I believe it's, I want to say it's 10%. There's 10% more oxygen there, so it's very relaxing and, and oxygenating for the body. And then there's certain minerals that have, high, there's certain minerals that have higher levels within the Dead Sea, so it's very it's a very kind of similar experience, except for, you know, you're not in a dark, uh, uh, sense, sensory uh, deprivated tank. Uh, but that, that's awesome. There's so many applications for it. It's, it's truly incredible the, um, how the, the, the inhib- the, your senses inhibit 
you know, learning, really. And, and, you know, if you're focused on something, that's great. But a lot of times our senses get in the way and they inhibit us from learning at a, at a higher brainwave state. So that's, that's cool that you do that. What, uh, just out of curiosity, what, what have you, have you practiced learning languages or just audiobooks or what in the tank? Um, it, really for me, it's been a lot of, uh, audio books. It's been a lot of, you know, if there's basically any information that I can get on my iPod or my mm-hmm. iPhone, I, uh, just put on there and I can, I have an application where I can, ex- I can speed up the rate at which I listen to things. And so in the tank, you know, day to day, you know, I listen to podcasts and audios at, you know, uh, two to three X speed based on the, the actual person who's speaking or who's narrating the information. Um, for those that speak slower, I speed it up faster and those who speak faster, like myself, I, I slow it down, okay. um, or I don't go as fast. I'll go 2x speed instead of 3x speed. In the tank, I've actually gotten up to 6x speed without losing track of the information or losing retention or recall because my brain is just in such an open state. It just can soak it all up. Um, so, yeah, so it's really just, you know, that's how I get through a lot of books really quickly, and that's how I, you know, if you can listen to something, if you can take in information effectively at six times the average rate you normally take it in. Imagine how much more you could get in every month or every year. Right? Oh yeah, that's 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 incredible. That's crazy. That's I could listen to every episode of every podcast I ever wanted to listen to. Uh, <laughs> that's quite incredible. What well, there's it's interesting you mentioned that though because do you think there's some sort of dichotomy here because you're going into a float tank to relax your senses, to slow down, to calm down, and to really deprivate your senses. So do you, do you think there's some sort of maybe in uh, intangible uh, hindrance there that maybe like for example I don't know if you learn every time you're in the float tank but I mean obviously it see it would seem as if there would be a good balance in between you know actually using the float tank to just relax and turn off your senses and then learning as well do you have some sort of balance there totally yeah you got to cycle it because the same thing even for, you know, if you're familiar with hypnosis or subliminal technologies, you know, if you run a hypnosis or a subliminal technology overnight, every night, all night, what's going to happen is it's going to affect your sleep quality. And I've actually quantified this because I like using some of those things too. And I, I realized that, you know, if I go through it for a few days with a subliminal or a hypnosis uh, on in the background while I'm sleeping, it's, you know, you can't hear it, right? But your brain can pick up on the frequencies and understand what's going on and the scripts that you have in there. And it, it does directly affect sleep quality, right? So same thing in the tank. Um, you you know, it's it's kind of like with meditation. Like, do you want to go and meditate um, on one mantra, or do you want to meditate openly, or do you want to meditate focus on your breathing, or do you want to meditate while you have TV in the background, right? There's the different the different ways that you're going to meditate, and your environment affects your experience and affects what you get out of it. And so for me, it's an amazing tool because I can choose the times that I want to just, you know, relax and recoup, recuperate and recover. Uh, for example, um, it's really amazing. I use it both before and after working out. And I quantified that when I use it before I work out, it actually is shown on regular occasion uh, the 20% boost in my strength in the gym, right? a 20% wow. increase in the amount of weight I'm able to lift throughout the duration of the workout, which is huge. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, there's not even, you know, just certain superfoods or certain foods I've eaten that have even given me that strength boost. Yeah. Um, so it's amazing what it does for the nervous system and your, your muscular connection and control. And so what will happen is I'll, I'll do a float, I'll go work out, and then I'll come back and I'll do another float uh, as a recovery mechanism. And it, it dramatically speeds up recovery. I, I shaved an entire day or day and a half in some cases off of my recovery time 
by adding a float right after it worked out. Uh, and the timing is really critical of it too. Uh, but I've also tested that versus uh, the recovery period and learning at the same time, right? And it did impact the way that I felt and uh, my stress levels, my inflammation, it did affect those things. So uh, essentially you just got to use it wisely. And just like with supplements, with foods, with your diet, things like this, you need to really cycle things, right? You know, we're, we're more, we're designed to be more seasonal eaters unless we're, you know, like right in the tropics and, you know, the same foods available all year round. And, you know, even then there's still seasons and different fruits that come around. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we're very seasonal eaters and that's, really how our body is made to adapt and we, we change, we go through through time like that. So cycling things like the supplements you take, um, you know, I take time off of those just like I would take time off of learning stuff in the tank. So it really just depends on how I'm feeling, what I'm going for, what my kind of goals and desired end results are. And then I'll just use it. So, you know, maybe I'll go in on a Monday and I'll learn something really great and then I'll work out on a Thursday or a Friday and then I'll use it to recover and I won't learn anything in that. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it just really depends on how you want to use it and how often you want to use it. Because, um, I mean, you can get an amazing array of compounding benefits from floating just once per week, right? And even even people have noticed amazing benefits from just twice per month, right? So it has this this, this really long, sustainable effect on your body and your biology and, and even your mind as well. So it's uh, I'm really excited that it's trending a lot more and there's more float tank centers opening up. And we have some friends here that, that introduced me to floating. Uh, I used to float their private tank in their own home, and then they opened a really successful place called Float House here in Vancouver. And, and just in the past year alone, they've expanded. They now have, I believe, they're opening three or four total stores now. So they have it's it's growing rapidly, and I love that because the more people float, the better the, the world will become. I can pretty much guarantee and quantify. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. It's funny. I mean, I could just take that quote and use that for this interview. The the more the world will flow, the better the world will become, or, you know, and put that on Facebook. And, and I, completely, <laughs> I completely agree with you. It's funny. I have a friend in, in Detroit area uh, who has a, uh, just got a few float tanks as well. And uh, it's interesting you mentioned too that pre-workout, it in, in enhances your uh, strength capacity by 20%. That's incredible. Especially from my perspective, seeing as that it's, you know, it's mineral water, essentially, it's magnesium, it's relaxing, it seems like that would be more of a recovery mechanism, which obviously works well, you know, works for you well as well. But uh, pre-workout, like you said, the nervous system, just relaxing the nervous system and getting into that parasympathetic nervous system uh, really has to kind of like hit the reset button, if you will, in the nervous system and kind of iron out those those uh, stress kinks, if you will, in the nervous system. Uh, that, that's really awesome. I think it's cool that, and I always see on Facebook you're a huge proponent of and you're recommending people do it and always kind of sharing cool studies and things. So uh, keep that up for sure. Uh, I want to talk a bit more about uh, biohacking and optimizing health and some of the different protocols. You've mentioned a lot of different protocols from tracking your sleep, your energy levels, your ATP production, on and on and on. What are some of what you feel to be the most valuable biofeedback or just feedback mechanisms to enhance and optimize overall health and well-being for energy, longevity, for that kind of thing? Not necessarily for optimal performance and, and mind and, and fitness, but more for longevity and, and uh, well-being. Longevity and well-being specifically. Well, you know, immune function, you know, modulating immune, immune function is really key to that. Uh, optimizing brain function, uh, reducing inflammation, um, you know, increasing the functioning of the mitochondria in your cells, like really 
getting down into, um, you know, what are the things that cause aging, right? What are the things that uh, reduce the immune system's ability to be really bolstered over time? Um, you know, uh, for example, something like glutathione, you know, something like glutathione is uh, the body's master antioxidant that as we age, we produce less and less um, on the scale. So a person at 20 years old is going to produce so much more than a person at 60 years old. And the, the lower amount of glutathione you produce, your immune system's impacted, your energy function is impacted, your detox abilities, your detox pathways are impacted, um, you know, your liver function, your kidney functions. These are all once again, holistic approaches here where this one thing plays so many roles in the human body and it's such a, you know, it's, they, they dubbed it the master antioxidant because it is one of the uh, highest leverage things you could do to your health. Now, the catch of glutathione though is that it is really, really, really hard to supplement with. Um, usually what would happen is people would eat certain foods like aloe vera, for example. Um, you know, aloe vera is a, is a precursor to the body's natural production of glutathione, which is really great to have. You know, I, I whipped up a, a little lemonade today, which the recipe is super simple. I can share. It's um, it's basically you know the good, clean, fresh spring water, a little pinch of pink Himalayan salt for the minerals and the electrolytes. You've got a couple of lemons that you juice. You get the fresh juice from organic lemons, and then a nice big chunk of the gel from inside of an aloe vera leaf, right? Ideally fresh, if you can pull it off the plant, peel off the skin, and throw it in your blender. And I use just a little bit of stevia either stevia raw ground, stevia green powder, or uh, stevia organic extract to sweeten it up. And you have this lemonade that, um, you know, it's so simple, right? But it does so many things in the body. And you can compound that by adding MSM powder to it, which is a little bit bitter, but if you get the, the ratio just right, um, it makes this really delicious lemonade. And, you know, that right there is a simple drink that you can make in the mornings that, you know, boosts your natural glutathione production. It uh, gets the digestive system really going. It helps to, you know, balance your pH. So you, you want the acidity in certain places and you want to be a little bit more alkaline in others. Uh, it helps you uh, really just basically boost up your systems to where you can, um, you know, absorb vitamin C better, which is from the lemon. The vitamin C then helps uh, the MSM do its work in the body and, you know, transporting and shuttling nutrients in, in and out of the cells. So, you know, something as simple as, a little lemonade, right, that's made a specific way in the morning can have this massive impact on your health over time. And if this is something you adopt for, you know, ongoing, you're going to notice boosts across the board. You're going to notice that you don't get sick as often, that if you do get sick, it's not nearly as intense as it used to be. Um, you're going to see that, you know, you, your cells are going to detox and they're going to absorb nutrients more, much more efficiently than they ever have before. And those are the, the key functions, right? So, you know, aging is really a set of genes that are being expressed or not expressed based on your environment. And the theory in the anti-aging community, which uh, I spent a lot of time in working with a previous, um, a previous group of friends and scientists, was, you know, they believe that uh, genes for aging are like switches that you can eventually turn on or off. And if you can turn those switches off, the theory is, you know, that, well, basically you will live longer. <laughs> Your body will function more optimally and you'll, you'll be able to detox things on a regular basis a lot more efficiently. And the aging process will either stop or even potentially reverse. And so that's what people are working on. They're working on stem cell therapies. They're working on all sorts of different technologies to reverse the aging process. And glutathione production, for example, is one of the keys to that. Because if you have really amazing glutathione production throughout your life, 
then you're going to be protected and buffered against a whole variety of different things that might affect you after certain, you know, after every decade, your, you know, your risk for certain things go, goes up based on where you are, based on your genetics and your, your epigenetic uh, profile, essentially. So for longevity, these are things that we have to keep in mind now. And it's, it's that we're playing a long game. We're not playing a short game here. You know, like a, like a friend of mine said one time, he's like, man, you're playing a game of chess while everybody else is playing a game of checkers, you know. <laughs> and, and that really is the analogy that kind of sums it all up, which is what are you going to do today? What are you going to do tomorrow? What are you going to do in these moments that you have direct conscious control over to a degree to impact your health in a way that you're, you're making investments in yourself now that will pay you dividends in the future? Right. It's this kind of investment psychology to it. And that's one of the things like I'm committed to doing is optimizing my genetics. Right. Essentially, one day when I want to have kids or something, I don't want to give them my genetics that were just the kind of default blueprint I was born with. I want to give them optimized genetics. I want them to have an advantage from an evolutionary perspective that I have conscious control over so that when I ship my, my, my DNA off into the future, like we do when we have kids, what happens is they are at an advantage in their own life, so they don't have to go through some of the stress and trauma I went through as a child from ear infections to dairy allergies to all sorts of different things that I had. They're going to have a much better, healthier, profound life, which is going to enable them to enjoy more of life and ideally become you know, a very awesome part of society, making positive change if they want, however that looks for them. That's totally up to them. But my goal right now, my commitment to myself and to my children of the future is essentially to optimize my DNA as much as I can because we can. It's possible, right? And so there's different things you can do right now that will help with that. So you've got the short-term improvements in performance and cognitive ability that you want to have now, or you have the long-term things you can do for basically protecting your DNA over time, for you know changing and altering your epigenetic expression over time that you'll then pass down to future generations. And this is the first time in known history that we're at this amazing point with abundant technology to where we can do this. Mm-hmm. I think I, I love that. And I love everything you just said. I was two thumbs up over here on the other side of the screen in, in Costa Rica. <laughs> the, the, chess and, <laughs> the chess and checkers analogy is absolutely awesome. And I think I, I, I think more people should see it in that way because when you look at the methodologies using to, you know, kind of optimize your fitness and, and mind and, and just your performance on a day-to-day basis, those are great. But I think if you're, if you, you're in it for the long term, you have that, uh, that chess mentality. So when approaching technologies or healing modalities or whatever it may be, asking yourself the question, is this a checkers play or is this a checkers move or is this a chess move? And I think that if you kind of have that chess mindset, you can still optimize and enhance your performance and uh, fitness and mental cognitive ability, creative capacity, all these types of things today if you're still playing that long game. So I, that's kind of what holistic biohacking is in a nutshell to me at least is, is, is getting the benefits today but also having those long-term benefits and reaping those rewards tomorrow, whereas some technologies today – uh, whether it be, uh, you know, magnets or, or chips or uh, even just playing around with uh, new technologies that could interfere with our, our biological uh, balance in our bodies uh, can potentially harm us long term. So it's important to kind of see that, that the, the big picture, the small picture, and, and uh, that's what I love about what you've shared so far today. 
and, and, and that's this podcast. That's a holistic aspect of it too, which all you know essentially make, make a little subtle differentiation here is you know I have friends who are biohackers who are, are wonderful, brilliant, awesome people. We geek out all the time, uh, but some of them actually play around with synthetics. And what happens is what we found is that an overall pattern is that with synthetic technologies, our bodies don't always recognize them and, and do what we want them to do. We may get the result we want from an isolated molecule of some sorts, like in a painkiller or a muscle relaxer, something like that. And it'll give you the desired response. We've also found this pattern of increased toxicity and toxic load to the liver and the kidneys, which doesn't recognize this because it's never existed before in our evolution. So our bodies have to adapt. And the adaptation process is a, is a really, really long process possibly not even in our, in our own lifetimes, right? It may take generations to adapt to these things. And do we want to adapt to them or not? So the holistic approach is where you know, we look at synthetics, we see what's going on. For example, nootropics are a good example of them. But I've got friends who have, you know, tried synthetic nootropics. They've literally burned their brains out, sometimes on a temporary basis and sometimes doing even permanent long-term damage, right? So holistic approach is, you know, first looking at the natural, holistic, sustainable like, what are natural things that we can use? And with the understanding that pharmaceuticals get their base and plant-based origins, right, you need a plant-based substance from which a molecule can be extracted and then basically synthesized, right, to get a painkiller or a muscle relaxer. Mm-hmm. What happens is you take that mentality of, well, let's go to the source. If you can get the same results, maybe not as quickly, right, for example, herbalism might take, you know, three or six months versus an hour from taking a pill, we need to really get over that instant gratification effect of, I just want it to go away now. And I know that's really challenging for some people, especially those in chronic pain. Uh, My mother's one of them. She had had a back injury. And so I I know how challenging that can be. I've had chronic pain before as well. Uh, But really, it does serve us to adopt this additional mindset of, well, maybe there's another way. Maybe there's a natural way. And I'll try that first. And if that doesn't work, maybe then you might have to go to something that's synthetic. Like, for example, you know, bioidentical hormones, Mm -hmm. right? For some people, they don't need them at all. You know, they could use pine pollen to boost their testosterone naturally and sustainably. And that comes from the pollen of a pine tree, right? Versus people who need synthetic testosterone, which can essentially lead to, you know, basically steroid usage, right? And some people can use that and that will totally transform their life and their health. So um, it really comes down to, once again, knowing yourself, knowing your body and and taking this natural approach where I will, you know, forever and always look to the natural thing first, the natural option first. And only if I've exhausted all those resources and and it really, really needs to go somewhere else in the synthetic realm, then I might explore that and I'll explore the most natural realm in that path. So it's just this adoption of a new mindset and a new approach to things that will get you longer term results even though you have to be a little bit more patient, and that's what people are struggling with these days is, you know, as things evolve and go faster and faster and technology adapts and evolves even quicker, you know, we, we're accelerating at such a rapid rate that, you know, we really need to kind of slow down and stop and say, hey, wait a minute, how can we really stay the most natural and grounded wherever we are, whether it's in, you know, on the top of a high rise in the middle of the city or if we're out in the boonies on an organic farm, you know, wherever we are in the spectrum, we have ways and means to, basically optimize our environment and optimize what we eat, what we take to essentially holistically biohack ourselves, our lives and our performance. And that, that chess mentality really is where it comes into play and that future pacing ability, the ability to project yourself into the future and realize going back what your choices in the now have an effect on you 
and your future, whether it's a month or a year or 10 years or a generation from now. And I, I believe that holistic mindset applies in way more areas than just health. But for our conversation here today, it is a really dramatic and profound approach and framework for this realm. Yeah, I agree completely. And, and that the, the technology world is evolving so quickly, and I kind of see it as the technology that's evolving as an external manifestation of our internal capabilities. So what I mean by that is if we can create something on the external world that does something absolutely incredible, obviously the mind conceived that, but then we may, we must have that capability internally to create that externally. So for example, uh, calling, you know, someone on a cell phone, uh, you know, we're, we're using that external technology, but we have that internal capability as well. Our intuition development and, and decalcifying the pineal gland and all these different things allow us to feel and communicate without that external technology, whereas the external technology now, as you and I both know, uh, has electromagnetic frequencies, which will cause imbalances in our energetic field. So uh, it's a very, it's a very, it's not a fine line, but it's, it's, it's important to understand what's serving your highest good today and for the long haul. And I think uh, everything you're doing, I love your approach to that. You, you really dissect the different technologies, use them to their fullest capability, and then integrate them really well. And, uh, you know, talking about the float tanks and things like that in this interview has really been beneficial to our listeners. I have one question for you. Well, a few more questions, but this question kind of off the wall, off the charts, if you will, but I'm, I'm really curious. What does a typical day look like in the life of Caleb Jennings from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep? What does a typical day look like? <laughs> uh, you know, it really depends on what cycle I'm in because it, it, it changes. It changes on a regular basis. I have a variety of different kinds of days, right? So I, I never, I have certain routines, but I never stick to just one all the time because your body can really adapt to that. It's kind of like going and doing the same workout every single day that you go to the gym and you wonder why you don't get increased results because you need to mix things up and you need to challenge your body and your brain in different ways. Um, you know, so I'll, let's say I'll, I'll give you, I'll gonna kind of give you one example of a day in the life where I'm in one of my on cycles where I'm, I'm really, you know, taking a lot of stuff, doing a lot of experiments and things like that. And I'll give you a quick one of, of, in my, of my off cycle, which actually I'm, I'm in right now in my off cycles. And so I don't, I don't take much. I don't do much in my off cycles, right? I want to give my body a break. I want to give my liver and my kidneys a break. And I want to just kind of like go, go back to, I just use food as the foundation. So my, my foundational baseline, which, you know, obviously we have to eat. So food is the foundation for me. And I just go back to whole foods, organic whole foods. If I'm eating animal products at the time, it's going to be the highest quality, local, grass-fed, organic, well-cared for. If it's you know beef, it's going to come from a happy cow, um, things like that. And then if I'm doing plant-based, I'll be doing my cleanses, my detoxes, uh, according to my, my desired outcomes and desired results for cleansing the body and, you know, giving my colon a break and things like that. So, um, you know, in my off cycle, you know, I'll wake up and I'll usually have, I mean, water tends to be the very first thing that I do. So I usually, I just guzzle water in the morning. Sometimes it'll be two or three glasses. Sometimes if I'm really thirsty, I'll have five glasses or more. Um, you know, I might put lemon in the water. I might make those lemonades, like I, I mentioned, with the, uh, the aloe vera and the lemon juice and the stevia in it. I've been making those a lot lately, which is really great and, and super delicious and just, just a really great way to wake up your body and wake up your mind. Um, and then I'll basically kind of, you know, I'll either do a meditation, I'll do a, uh, a training session with my heart rate variability uh, monitor, which I absolutely love and recommend 
to anyone who's interested in, in reducing stress and really, you know, overall boosting your performance, uh, HRV or heart rate variability training is phenomenal for that. And I can do a session anywhere from, you know, five minutes to 20 minutes or more, depending on how I feel or what I have going on in that day. And basically, I kind of move on from there. And I'll, I'll you know, on my best days, I'll try to move a bit. I'll try to stretch my, my uh, hip flexors. And I do a lot of work on the computer. And so uh, flexibility has been one of those things I've been really focusing on lately. So getting moving, you know, I might, you know, crank out, you know, 100 or 200 push-ups just for fun to get the blood flowing. Um, you know, just pull-ups if you can. Uh, just really kind of get moving, get going. Um, uh, usually I'll just kind of juggle a bit, you know, juggling is one of the best things you can learn for your brain. So I'll just, you know, I'll just take these three balls I have and just juggle them. I'll juggle for you know five or so minutes and that'll kind of wake up both sides of my brain and get the different, you know, uh, aspects of my cognition kind of firing a bit better. And then, um, yeah. And then from there, you know, I kind of go into, you know, identifying what it is that I need to do that day. Do I have an interview scheduled? Do I have a project I need to work on? You know, do I have people I need to get back to or respond to? You know, am I going anywhere, running errands? You know, I kind of go through those things, plan out my day, and then I go from there. And I just kind of, uh, throughout the day, make sure to eat the best food that I can. Uh, I eat when I'm hungry. I When I'm full, I stop, and I don't eat anymore. And it uh, depends on what my fitness routine is. Sometimes I do need to eat more if I'm putting on muscle. And I have to force myself to eat. Uh, but other times I just, you know, just eat really delicious, awesome homemade food. We've actually been doing a, a, a no eating out challenge. I believe we're on day 33 today. Uh, you know, we haven't, my wife and I haven't eaten out at all anywhere. We just go, we pick up food from the farmer's market uh, or from Whole Foods and we come home and she whips up some amazing stews and, and delicious meals. And sometimes I'll make some salads or smoothies. Uh, and we just basically been making everything at home, which has been a lot of fun and uh, we've been loving it. And, uh, yeah, basically just kind of go through that. And then, you know, I usually get a lot of work done throughout the late morning, afternoon, and then uh, even into the evening. I, sometimes my brain, I'm more of a, a night owl, so my brain kind of kicks up at night and I just really get into a good flow zone, a good focus zone of getting things done. And so I'll be very productive for a bit. And then, you know, I'll go for walks with my wife. We'll um, kind of catch up and relax and chat. And then I might do some more heart rate variability training if I feel like it. Um, you know, we brainstorm, we mastermind, we plan things out, you know, we, uh, we work with our team and stuff. And then, you know, in the evening, we tend to just kind of calm down and relax. And so we try to, you know, we reduce the amount of uh, blue light that's coming in. So we have this really awesome app called Flux on our computers that, you know, basically alters the screen and how the, how much blue light is coming out of it on the computer. Um, we'll try to reduce the amount of technology we use at all. And sometimes I'll pick up a physical book, right? Just read a book for a while. It's one of my favorite things to do. And, uh, yeah, we have these special night lights that um, they don't have the blue spectrum in them. So we'll have the night lights on. We'll have salt lamps on in our house. We have a lot of salt lamps. And so we just kind of darken the, the space. And, like, when the sun sets, we just try to get into that natural flow and use less technology. And then that definitely affects our sleep. And, yeah, we'll go through, you know, kind of our sleep protocols and then, uh, turn on my sleep app when I go to bed, you know, fall asleep and then, you know, wake up the next day and review the data from the night before. And then my wife and I spend a little time in the morning asking each other how our sleeps were, you know, asking each other what our apps said. You know, we both use them on different sides of the bed and it, it's really sensitive. So it only tracks uh, where you have it near, which is really great. So our results differ and we get to share, you know, if she had a really good night's sleep or if I had a really good night's sleep and what are the things we learned from that. So we kind of share in that, that data together. Um, and that's really, you know, pretty much a simple day in, um, in the off cycle. And then the on cycle is very similar. It's what I just shared. And then I just go through and whatever experiments I'm running with, 
whether it's Ayurvedic herbs or Chinese medicine or superfoods or certain nutrient profiles, what I'll do is I'll just go through and I'll time them throughout the day. So, you know, I can, nutrient timing is really critical. Um, I learned about this when I was researching fitness and, and how to optimize my, my muscle performance and building more muscle and burning more fat, obviously. And uh, nutrient timing is super critical. And so I started working on that around the time that I was working out. So I have a pre-workout protocol, a during-workout protocol that I use at the gym, and I have a post-workout protocol for recovery. And from there, I expanded to realizing, discovering things like vitamin D, for example. Uh, vitamin D is a sunshine hormone, and it's best to be taken in the morning, right? Because it has an inverse relationship with melatonin production. And melatonin production is what is produced at night and what helps you fall asleep and helps you sleep deeply. And so if you take vitamin D at night, you're actually going to throw off your melatonin production and could affect your sleep. So if you're taking these supplements with vitamin D, switch to taking them in the morning. If you're taking anything with melatonin, take it at night and cycle because you don't want to get yourself used to uh, exogenous melatonin. You know, so things like that, I'll, I'll change the nutrient timing profile of what I'm doing to boost my results, right? So I'll take the vitamin D, the MSM, the aloe vera, vitamin C, I'll have those in the daytime and they'll do the wonderful things and I'll shift into the nighttime where I'll have more of my magnesium, I'll have more of my minerals, I'll have more of the bone building things that I'm going to be going into at nighttime in my sleep cycles. Um, you know, if I'm doing any supplementation with um, certain superfoods or, or natural herbs or supplements that boost hormone levels of any kind, for you know, example, pine pollen is one that's great for boosting testosterone. I cycle that in a way that boosts it at the highest point, peak point of natural production of testosterone in the morning. And then there's HGH production on the other end, which really peaks at night. And so if I'm using, for example, elk antler, which is a really phenomenal HGH, natural HGH booster, um, and it is totally acceptable like in sports and everything like that. It's just an herb, and your body just really loves to use it to recover and build muscle from. It'll help with the recovery protocols, and I'll take that at night. Right. So, so things like that. And then basically the whole day is really just uh, kind of a scheduled out, you know, take these things at these times based on whatever I'm you know, attempting to achieve or experimenting with. And sometimes it's a lot. Sometimes it's a little. Sometimes it's only one thing if I'm trying to isolate the results from one particular new addition. And then based on what I learned from that experiment, I'll, I'll take that data and I might add it into another protocol or take it out of another protocol. And so it's really just my whole life, day in, day out, is just constant experimentation and tracking of data and, and effects, right? And then ideally, you know, most of it is really, really good. And there's sometimes where I'll run an experiment and, you know, I call it the I'm going to write a blog post about this soon, too, called The Dark Side of Biohacking, where sometimes you'll try something and it's not right for you and, and you'll feel it. And it might knock you out for a couple of days or, you know, or affect your performance uh, in a short-term period, but you'll always tend to bounce back to baseline. And so, yeah, that's, that's the day in the life of being in an on cycle, really. Well, damn, I'm going to go scratch off all my goals and write, I want to be like Caleb Jennings when I grow up, because that was absolutely awesome. Um, <laughs> honestly, that was much more grandiose than I envisioned. Uh, that's absolutely incredible. It's, it's, it's very cool. It's very inspiring to know how dedicated you are to the practice of peak physical, mental, cognitive, and health optimization and performance. It's so cool. Uh, to know there are other people like that out there. Uh, I'm not the only one, uh, apparently. So um, thank you for that that picture. Not alone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have I have one final question for you, and this is just a, uh, just three quick tips. What are three of the top mind, body, spirit, health, wellness, just evolutionary growth? 
practices that you would recommend to a listener that you feel are extremely valuable that are underutilized in the world right now that would greatly enhance the lives of the of the listeners that you'd recommend? Oh man, the top three question were the most challenging for us. They <laughs> were into some, some complex things. Fourteen. Um, you know, number one, you know, I just from my personal experience. Um, I, and I'm, I'm going to share things that are really accessible. There, there are certain technologies that are really amazing, but that are just also either way too expensive or just out of the reach of most people, and, and I understand that. And so I'll, I'll share the really simple ones that you can use, that anyone listening right now can, can use immediately. Uh, one is to really get your head right, and by that I mean focus on uh, you know, limiting beliefs. Limiting beliefs are literally, as they say, one of the most limiting things that we can have in our entire lifetime. And if your beliefs are a lot out of alignment, if your your constructs in your mind and how you approach life and new things and new situations, if those are limiting in some capacity, everything we've said won't matter to you. But if you have what's called a growth mindset, right? Uh, Carol Dweck refers to uh, a fixed mindset and a growth mindset is this kind of generalized approach to people who are fixed in their ways and their beings and their beliefs and, and don't like change and don't like new things versus people who are in a growth mindset, which are very open. And they're very you know, open to possibility, open to new things. Um, in, in the realm of you know, holistic biohacking, you're constantly doing new things, trying new things, changing your routines, you know, uh, stopping old habits and, and building new habits. So really limiting beliefs are pretty much part of the core operating system of our brains and of our minds and of how basically we run our lives. So I really, really recommend, number one, you know, identify what your limiting beliefs are and then do whatever it takes, whether it's NLP or EFT or floating, whatever it may be. Do whatever you can. Work with whoever is the expert you need to work with and really you know, reframe or completely eliminate the limiting beliefs that are holding you back from being the absolute best you can possibly be, mind, body, spirit, soul, right? So uh, that's number one. Uh, number two would be, um, heart rate variability training, which can literally be as simple as just being conscious with your breath. And some people will call it meditation. You know, some people will do this in yoga. It's really something as simple as the fact that you can change the way you breathe and that alters your entire physiology. It reduces your stress or increases it. Uh, and we have this ability naturally to do this. And so any human alive today, for the most part, can do this unless you're on an oxygen machine. Then it's a little bit more challenging. But for the most part, no matter who you are, where you are, uh, it's free, it's simple, it's easy. And you know, one quick example is breathing in for a count of four and out through a count of six. Breathing in for a count of four and out for a count of six. And doing that for a few minutes alone, you know, before a stressful situation, after or during, even during a stressful situation, will profoundly calm your mind, get you out of that fight or flight response and really get you into that, that you know, kind of rest and relax, you know, the rest and digest response, they call it sometimes and really get you more control over your life, your health, and your stress. And, and, and it'll help you stop from making really dumb decisions because when our brains shift gears into a survival mechanism, that's when we make poor decisions because we don't have the ability to access the part of the brain that helps us think through what we're about to do or about to say. And I'm sure everyone in this world has done that at some point in time. And this is something very simple you can do anytime, anywhere, anywhere allow you to uh, really overcome that and really be more grounded, be more present, be more understanding, and to make a lot better decisions in your lifetime and with those you love, especially. So breathing, heart rate variability training, you can get technology for it that plugs in your iPhone. You can get different things. The HeartMath Institute uh, has some phenomenal technology 
that I highly recommend and love to use for that. Uh, but you can seriously just do that. Just breathe in for a count of four, breathe out for a count of six, and you will notice the difference over time. Do it in traffic. Do it, you know, in a fight. If, you, if you're in a fight with someone, you know, verbally, you know, do it whenever you can, and it will really shift your interactions and totally optimize your health. Um, and number three, and, you know, I have to say for number three, it's really just getting clear on how committed you are to your health and, and really diving in with both feet. It's one of those things where you can do a little or you can do a lot. Um, it really comes down to your situation, what you have to invest, who you know, how, how you learn, um, you know, how good you are at overcoming uh, challenging habits, which you can condition yourself to do. Um, so it's really just, you know, this idea of, you know, the epigenetics of things, right, understanding that we have this ability to consciously make these changes, and it's committing to doing whatever it takes, you know, literally or die trying, because that's what we're all kind of sort of on the path right now to do is, you know, uh, until we figure out the technology to allow us to live forever at this current standpoint as we have this conversation, you know, people are eventually going to die, and that's okay. You know, it's part of life. It's part of the natural cycle of things, and it's a, a topic that people don't want to talk about, and it, it kind of subconsciously rules our lives is fear of death. But when you get to the point where it's like, oh, hey, I can actually get way more out of life. I can optimize my performance. I can experience the world with brighter colors and more brilliant scents. And I can taste things that are really delicious. And I can feel so good that I'm really thriving in life. Um, you can do that. You can totally do that. And it's totally possible. And being open to possibility is the first step to raising awareness. And the raising of awareness is what gets you on this path and really down this rabbit hole of, of essentially holistic biohacking or, or just biohacking, however you like to put it, and really making conscious changes to your life to optimize it so you can spend more quality time with your loved ones. You can enjoy the work that you do. You can really be present in the play that you, you use in your free time that you go love to do for fun. And, and you essentially get into more of those flow states that really make life totally worth living for us, right? So I would say those are probably the three things, and man, I wish we could keep going with them, but I'll stop there. <laughs> Caleb, I really appreciate everything you shared, man. It's been a true, amazing, truly amazing conversation. I think there's so much value in this, and uh, we can have you on the podcast again at some point in the future because I'm sure there's a lot more we can discuss. Uh, but thank you so much for your time. Where can our listeners find you? What are your websites, your social media uh, profiles, so they can keep along and, and follow what you do? Totally. Um, yeah, you know, youngandraw.com is uh, one of our main properties online. It's where we share a lot of really amazing health and wellness information, uh, primarily focused on the plant-based aspect of things like cleanses and detoxes. We also weave in a lot of self-development and, and education in there. We're non-dogmatic. We love and accept everyone, whether you eat meat, whether you don't eat meat. It's all good because we're all in this together in, as a human being and a species on the planet. Uh, it's better for us to support each other in experimenting differently and not, you know, fighting over, you know, who eats what, when, where. So uh, that's the main place you can find us, um, calebjennings.com, www.calebjennings.com. That's my main profile, and I'm eventually going to be putting out a blog that's going to be primarily focused on holistic biohacking, which you'll find there or be able to find information about on there. Uh, and then, yeah, Young and Raw on Facebook. You know, we have a, an amazing uh, community of over 326,000 people 
who are really just into optimizing their health and wellness through natural fashions. And, and uh, that's a really great supportive community where people can go to to, to learn more and to just really have a, a nice dose daily of, you know, new, awesome, healthy, fun food facts and things they can do to optimize their health over time. So, yeah, those are the, the main spots to, uh, to keep up with me at. Awesome. Thanks a lot, man. And uh, take care and rest, take care and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much, David. Bye. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the episode. I really hope you enjoyed that. There is so much information out there that I want to bring to you in this podcast in the form of interviews, um, everything from holistic biohacking to optimizing your health, optimizing your sleep, your diet, your fitness routines, your hormones, your immune system, you name it. There's so much valuable information that I want to bring to you. And the only, the only thing that I ask in return is for you to simply leave a review on my podcast. Uh, one of the ways that allows me to reach more people with the podcast is if you just simply leave a review on iTunes. So if you go into iTunes and you type in healthy, wild, and free, what that does is pulls up my podcast in iTunes. And when you click on that and click subscribe and click write a review and leave a review, what it does is it helps I, my podcast become more visible on iTunes. So it allows more people to see my podcast, more interviews, and it allows more guests to find me, and it allows more uh, opportunities for interviews. So if you could please leave a review on the iTunes podcast, the Healthy Wild Free podcast in iTunes, I would really appreciate it. And if you want to be updated with future interviews and videos and content, make sure to like the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash healthy wild and free, and also make sure to subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash healthy wild and free for video updates. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you're enjoying these interviews. Feel free to stop by my Facebook page and let me know what you think of the podcast so far and leave a review in iTunes. Thanks again for your time. Have a great day. Bye.